Yeah, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word now. A lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And Lord, we, we're so blessed by your word. And we ask that you would uh, cause it to go deep into our hearts today, Lord, that um, whatever thoughts or words you'd put in my heart would be from you and that uh, they would somehow make it deep into the hearts of each and every one of us. And so uh, we thank you in advance uh, that you've given us your word and you've preserved it through the centuries. And uh, we ask you to speak through your word by the power of your Holy Spirit now, all for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter 28. Jeremiah 28. And as you're turning there, um, if you're like me, I've read through these uh, history pages several times, and I always, for the life of me, always got hung up on these last few kings of Judah, because they all start with J, right? They're like Duggars, right? You got Josiah Duggar, and Jehoahaz Duggar, and Jehoiakim Duggar, and no, they weren't Duggars. They didn't have last names. But anyway, but you liked that. Did you like that? Like on a scale from one to ten, how much did you like that? Eight. Sandy is so gracious. Uh, only Sandy could say eight. It's because my wife's not here. She would have said ten. Um, but in the final days of the nation of Judah, before their demise and they were carried off to Babylon, um, Josiah was the last good king. Okay, And Josiah had three sons. The first uh, became king, Jehoahaz, he was, and he's also called Shalom in uh, reference there in the book of Jeremiah. He only reigned for three months, and he was carried off to Egypt. And then came uh, Jehoiakim, so that'd be the second son of Josiah. Jehoiakim reigned for 11 years. And uh, during his, he was placed there by Egypt because, you know, the Egyptians took out Jehoahaz, but during the reign of Jehoiakim, there was a transition of power and Babylon now becomes the, the primary, uh, the, the world leading power at that time. And then, so Jehoiakim reigns for 11 years and then, uh, he gets carried off to Babylon and his son, Jehoiachin, also called Jeconiah and in some places Coniah for short, he gets carried off to Babylon, and then the third brother, the last of these puppet kings, Zedekiah, uh, becomes king of Judah, placed there by the king of Babylon, okay? And the reason this is significant um, is that Josiah was the last good king, and all these other guys had the privilege of watching consequence of sin in their predecessors but they never learned the lesson, okay? And that's what we want to, that's one of the things we want to get from this. But then just in terms of putting together the historical details, during the reign of Jehoiakim, uh, around 605 BC was when this power shift happened between Egypt and Babylon, and Babylon is now the world power. And at 605 BC, Babylon conquered Judah carried off a bunch of captives. Daniel was one of them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know that story. Uh, they were carried off in 605 BC. And then in 597 BC was when Jehoiachin got carried off and was replaced by the puppet king Zedekiah. So the reason I say that, or a couple reasons I say that. Number one, 
Jeremiah doesn't write chronologically. So we have to kind of always place in our minds, okay, where are we at now with all of this? That's one thing I want us to keep in mind, that if you can kind of keep this little grid there, that helps you kind of remember where they're at. But the second thing I want us to keep in mind is that by the time we're writing here, Judah has been conquered twice by Babylon, once in 605 BC and once in 597 BC. Their final conquest will be at the end of Zedekiah's reign in 586 BC. That's when the temple gets totally destroyed, everything gets carried off, and it's a mess. It's, it's total destruction. Um, so before you have total destruction, you got sort of two, if you will, uh, warnings from the Lord of lost battles, okay? So 605 B.C., 597 B.C., and that brings us up to uh, where we'll read today. Fair enough? All right, chapter 28. And it happened in the same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah. Okay, so that would be the fourth of these kings. In the fourth year and the fifth month, that Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet, who was from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the peoples, saying. So the setting here is the reign of Zedekiah. It's in his fourth year, so we're talking 593 B.C. And by this time, again, just for repetition, the nation has been sort of uh, not totally decimated, but the nation has been conquered successfully by Babylon twice, with captives carried off both times. Okay? And so um, there's a bunch of captives now by this time in Babylon. Uh, They've been carried captive twice. And now in the fourth year of this final guy, Zedekiah, 593 B.C., we got this guy Hananiah, who's going to turn out to be a false prophet, and he's going to give some false prophecy. Okay? And you say, why does that matter? Because do we have false prophets today? Yeah. And we may not even have, you may, you, there may be false, let me just say, let me just expand it a little bit. Do we have false nonsense today? Yeah. Do we have false stuff? And, and somebody may not say, thus saith the Lord, but they may say, hey, this is the right thing. This is truth, right? And so we have to kind of see it, maybe think in our, in our minds, not just like the prophet, the good prophet and the bad prophet, but true noise and falsehood noise, Okay. And we would all agree that becomes immediately relevant uh, today. And so there's lots of falsehood noise. And I don't know if about you, well, I do know about you a little bit. We need discernment, right? We need discernment. If there's something that's horribly lacking in America, and I will say in the church, it's discernment. How do we get discernment? From the Word of God. From the Word of God. From the Word of God. Cover to cover. Not just John chapter 3, but the Word of God. Cover to cover is how we get discernment. And so we see this kind of even play out even in this little bit of history. So this guy, Han and I, he shows up saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Wow, he's speaking with some authority, right? Do false prophets claim to speak with authority? Yes, they do. 
So this guy says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two full years, I'll bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. And I'll bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim. That's the guy we said, you know, the son of Jehoiakim was Jehoiachin, also called Jeconiah or Coniah. This guy, Hananiah, says, in two years, everything we've seen for the last uh, 10 years, 12 years, is going to be reversed. The conquest that Babylon has taken, the, the, all the stuff that they took from the temple, all the prisoners and captives they took off to Babylon, within two years, it's all going to come back, according to Hananiah's uh, prophecy. And I'll bring back to this place Jeconiah, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with all the captives of Judah who went to Babylon, says the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. So it's interesting. The good news is this prophecy is very specific. When's this going to happen? In two years. So a guy says, all this is going to happen in two years. What's the, what's, the, what's the good news from the pages of Scripture of this? In 24 months, we'll all be able to say, yay or nay, right? And if we say nay, we're all going to have like a rush of good discernment. And we're all going to say, oh, Jeremiah is the man. And this guy, Hananiah, is not, right? Now, is that rocket science? Like to figure out if a guy says, you know, within two years, this very specific thing is going to happen. And then that thing, if that thing doesn't happen, the rest of us should all say, dude, that was a false prophet. Should we be able to say that? Right? But here's the thing. The sinful human heart Jeremiah tells us, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. One of the points I want to make today is this is going to happen. I mean, this is what I said. Is, it's not going to happen. What Hananiah says is going to happen is not going to happen. Hananiah is going to die. It's going to be a no-brainer from the, from, the, from the discernment standpoint. But they're still going to blow it, the people of Judah, right? So the sinful human heart lacks discernment. So let me back up when I said... The Word of God is one way. Not walking in sin is another way. Because if you're deliberately walking in sin, if you're deliberately walking in sin, and, I mean, now we all sin, so please don't take that as a trip, okay? But, but like idol worship and this kind of stuff that these people are, are involved in, they don't have any discernment. So they're not going to have any data points to, to rely upon. So... Um, so this guy says, yeah, all this is going to happen. So then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests and in the presence of all the peoples who stood in the house of the Lord. By the way, we're in the house of the Lord. I want you to picture the scene, right? When you got true prophet, false prophet, kind of going at it a little bit together, right? The stakes are a little higher, you would agree, if it's in the temple in front of everybody, right? So you got sort of the public piece of it. And I like this, what Jeremiah uh, says to Hananiah, in the presence of everybody, in the house of the Lord, prophet Jeremiah said, amen, that'd be awesome, <laughs> right? 
He says, the Lord do so. The Lord perform your words, which you have prophesied. That'd be awesome if what you said comes true. And to bring back the vessels of the Lord's house and all who were carried away captive. That'd be awesome from Babylon to this place. Nevertheless, hear now this word that I speak to in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who have been before me and before you of old prophesied against many countries and great kingdoms of war and disaster and pestilence. As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. So, hey, Hananiah, that'd be awesome if what you said is true, but it's not. And the way we'll know is in two years, when what you just said is going to happen doesn't happen, we'll all know, duh, right? And we would all say, because we're not involved in that situation, isn't it easy to assess the situation from the outside more than from the inside? Because we're, from the, we're on the outside of this situation, we can look at this and we can say, yeah, right? Is that all you got? Like, you're, gonna, you're teaching me about discernment, and you're saying, that's all you got? So anyway, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 22 says this, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. If a prophet says something and it doesn't happen, he's spoken presumptuously. I never want to, and I don't claim to be a prophet, but I never want to say anything presumptuously on behalf of the Lord, right? We don't want to misrepresent God. I don't want to have to answer for that. And so he goes on, verse 10. Then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke off, of Jeremiah, off the prophet Jeremiah's neck and broke it. So apparently there, Jeremiah's, this is still car- some carryover from, the, from chapter 27. Jeremiah had these yokes and was sending them out to the other nations. Anyway, so Hananiah decides to take it off of Jeremiah's neck and break it. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people saying, Thus says the Lord, even so I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon from the neck of all the nations within the space of two full years. So he makes another claim, reiterates his claim, and I want you to notice this, please. And the prophet Jeremiah went his way. The prophet Jeremiah went his way. Can I just park there for a second? You got this he said, she said thing going on with this pretty obnoxious false prophet, honestly. So he's making big, grandiose claims of, of peace, and, and he breaks the, neck off of, off of, breaks the yoke off the, Jer- the neck of Jeremiah, and he's kind of making this big public display, and it's at the temple in front of everybody, right? And it's, it's getting a little tense, right? What's Jeremiah do? Walks away. Isn't that brilliant? Can I suggest to you, if you're ever in one of these situations... That's the loudest thing you can say. That's the most powerful, dramatic speech you can give in the face of false prophecy. Walk away. Because here's what it does. It does two things. Number one, it demonstrates your incredible self-control. Because I don't know if you've ever been in one of those situations, but there are a few things more tempting in life than to have the last word in that situation. Right? Right? And so you, Jeremiah here is, is exhibiting incredible self-control, number one. Number two, I think, he's incri- in, I think he's demonstrating incredible faith. 
right? Incredible faith. When he walks away, he knows he's going to let the Lord take care of the details, right? The Lord's going to take care of the details. Does Jeremiah at this point in time know exactly how this is all going to work out? Not for sure. Not for sure. He's going to let the Lord work it out. But he's got great self-control and he's got great faith. Now the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from the neck of the prophet, Jeremiah, saying, go and tell Hananiah, saying, thus says the Lord. So now after a pause, God does speak to Jeremiah and God is going to have the last word now, not Jeremiah, but God. So God now speaks to Jeremiah after he's demonstrated self-control and faith. And God says, go and tell Hananiah, thus says the Lord. You've broken the yokes of wood, but you've made in their place yokes of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron on the neck of all these nations that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. I have given him the beasts of the field also. Then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you make this people trust a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will cast you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. So what happened? He's going to die. But it turns out, Jeremiah sort of has the last word, but really it's God's word, right? Jeremiah walked away, demonstrated incredible self-control, resisted the temptation to get in a he-said-she-said argument, demonstrated faith that God's going to work out the details, and then God does. So what you have here is a very, I mean, prior to the death of Hananiah, when it's going to become obvious, but prior to the death of Hananiah, what you're going to have is a very he-said-she-said thing and we have to decide which is true and which is false if we're one of the people sitting there. And I would, I would suggest that we find ourselves in that situation all the time today. Yeah. In terms of just sorting out truth from noise, and there's, there's some truth out there, but there's an awful lot of noise. And so how do you sort through some of these things? Well, here's some thoughts I had as I walk through this. Recall, number one, that the nation by this time, we've talked about this, I mean, we're all the way up to Jeremiah 28, so we've talked for 28 chapters now, that this nation is stuck in idolatry. They have rejected the Lord, and they've rejected the Lord, but they think there's no consequence in that. They've rejected the Lord, but they cannot accept that the Lord is going to bring punishment, right? Well, we said, how do you discern this? You discern it by the Word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 28, we talked about that last week. I won't go through it, but it's, it's a long chapter that talks about if you reject the Lord, these things are going to happen. And Moses in Deuteronomy 28, it's, it's fascinating. I was thinking about this actually a little more this morning. If you go through Deuteronomy 28, when God says through the mouth of Moses, if you reject the Lord and turn from worshiping him and, you know, serve idols and do all that, then this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen. And you can almost read the book of Lamentations, whereby uh, it'll be the next book we'll read after the final destruction of Jerusalem in 586 BC, 
and you can read very descriptively and very graphically, this is what's happened, and this is what's happened, this is what's happened, this is what's happened. And you can line up Deuteronomy 28 and Lamentations, and they almost, it's, it's, it's like a, a chilling prophecy and fulfillment side by side in exact parallel. It's crazy. And so, one of the ways we have for discerning truth from falsehood is, is it consistent with what's already been written in the Scripture, right? At this point in time, what's already been written in the Scripture is Deuteronomy 28 and other passages, and they should have known that. The other thing is, they should have known even the history up until now that Jeremiah was faithful Everything Jeremiah said was going to come true so far has in fact come true, and the warnings that Jeremiah has given were well-founded. So in our day, we have to sort through these things. Know the Word, know the history, know the biblical history, know Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 and 16, where Jesus himself said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Can I tell you, can I tell us, body of Christ, that there are those even today who are false prophets and they will come to us in sheep's clothing. They will not come to us with a big neon light on their forehead that says, I am a false prophet. They'll come to us in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. What do ravenous wolves do? They destroy their their prey. They destroy their prey. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit edifies the body of Christ. What does God want to do? He wants to build us up. So, inwardly, they're ravenous wolves, and I like this. You will know them by their fruits. You will know them by their fruits. You know, so as I unwind these things a little bit, and sometimes I have to sort through, is this, uh, you know, even though somebody may not be claiming to be a prophet or whatever like that, but I have to sort through, is this truth or is this noise? And I have to say, oh, Jesus said, beware of false prophets who come to you in in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. And When I think fruit in the New Testament, what am I thinking about? Anybody? The fruit of the Spirit. And when I think of the fruit of the Spirit, my mind goes to Galatians chapter 5 that says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If someone's claiming to uh, communicate biblical truth and they're lying, again, this is not, you know, do I ever like not manifest one of those nine things? Yeah. Yeah. But So I'm not talking about stumbling, I'm talking about patterns of life, okay? If someone's claiming biblical truth, those fruits of the Spirit should line up with some degree of consistency, yeah. right? Yeah. We should be able to say, yeah. I remember, I'll tell you a funny story. I remember, this is years ago now, we were living in Indianapolis. I'm on the phone, I was at my office, and I, was at the fo- I was on the phone with my wife, and I forget, a nurse comes in or something like that. And you know, you do this where you're like on the phone with one person and then you have like real life. You ever do that? Right? Super dangerous. So, so I'm in the, you know, the phone, you know, and I try to do this a little bit with the phone, right? 
but apparently not enough. And I like, I don't know what I said to this other person. <laughs> and then on the, on the earpiece of this phone, the sweet little voice says, so what fruit of the Spirit was that? <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's a dozen words of getting busted by your own wife. So anyway, point of the message is make sure you, if you're talking to your wife, say goodbye first before you bark at everybody. <laughs> Uh, it's a good. Le- I learned the lesson, though, at least. Uh, but anyway, so what happened? So, Hananiah the prophet died in the same year, in the seventh month. Right. So God made it clear. Right. Did Babylon come back, and all the cap- captives and all the treasures? Did they all come back within the period of two years? No. Furthermore, Jeremiah said, I got one on that. You don't have to wait two years. You just got to wait this year. And what did he do? He died in the seventh month. And we said that this was at the beginning of the chapter. We said this is in the fifth month. So two months later, Hananiah is dead. So we don't even have to to wait 24 months. We have to wait two months. And Hananiah is dead. Here's the punch. Here's to me, one of the great punchlines of this story. The people didn't start listening to Jeremiah. That crazy? The people did not start listening to Jeremiah after this. And so never underestimate the deceptiveness of the human heart. It's pretty powerful. So then chapter 29, he goes in now, he, you know, he's not getting through to the people uh, there in Jerusalem. So Jeremiah is going to send letters of encouragement off to the captives, right? Now you may recall a couple weeks ago, uh, God gave Jeremiah a word of, you know, there were two baskets of figs, one basket of good figs and one basket of horrible figs. Remember that? And, and the good figs were the ones that actually got carried off to Babylon. And the horrible figs were the ones back in Jerusalem. And we kind of talked about it a little bit. If you're a, if you're a good you know, Jewish person in Jerusalem, man, you're in God's city. You're in the city of David. You're worshiping in the temple of Solomon, Right? You've got all the oracles of God. You've got all the history of, you know, you're a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. you got everything. God had, God had established this, and these pagan, idol-worshiping Babylonians came in and conquered our, our beloved godly city and carried off a few uh, captives. And you're trying to tell me that those are the lucky ones and we're the victims? And yes, it is true. It is true. Because that's how it's playing out. And so Jeremiah is writing words now of encouragement to the captives. So here's how he goes. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. This happened after Jeconiah. Remember, he's Jehoiachin, the son of Jehoiakim. This happened after Jeconiah the king, the queen mother, the eunuchs, the princes of Judah, and Jerusalem, and the craftsmen, and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. So this is during the reign of Zedekiah, after Jeconiah got, got carried off. And so this would have been after the second carrying off of captives. Okay? So there's been two groups of captives carried off to Babylon. Jeremiah is now writing uh, a letter of encouragement to them. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, all right, so he sends this letter off. 
And here's what he says. Thus says the Lord of hosts. This is the words of Jeremiah. These are the words of Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now again, this is written to the Jewish captives. They would have felt, they would have felt like refugees big time, right? It would have felt like, who knows what they were thinking. But here's what he says to him: Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. And so this seems very paradoxical, right? Jeremiah is telling these captives, hey, you guys just settle out there. And I think in our lives, sometimes you fight through circumstances and sometimes you roll with the circumstances. And again, this calls for discernment. I mean, I don't know how many times I've, I've had a situation or I've had, you know, different people share with me a situation where it's like, is this something you plow through or is it, it you know, to, to overcome or is this what the Lord has for me? And that requires a lot of discernment, right? In this case, Jeremiah, the prophet, is given credibility to these guys. You know what? You need to just settle in there. And why is that? Because it's consistent with Deuteronomy 28. And interestingly, as I've been looking back a little bit further, 2 Chronicles chapter uh, 6, you may recall Solomon builds the temple. And Solomon gives this great big prayer of dedication, right? Well, in the big prayer of dedication, 2 Chronicles chapter 6, and extending into chapter 7, Solomon prays, I believe by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that, you know what, when our people are carried off captive because of their sin, he says, when they get carried off captive because of their sin, let them, let them repent there and learn what God has for them, right? And so what we see, we see from multiple examples prior to this writing, these people would have had confirmation to say, you know what, we're in Babylon because we deserve to be. We're in Babylon because we deserve to be. And it, it just is what it is. So maybe we ought to do what Jeremiah says, because Jeremiah has established some credibility by this time. Maybe we ought to just, you know what, build houses, dwell in them, plant gardens, um, raise families, do all of that. And so that's what he's telling them. Verse 7, he goes on, and seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. Now, here's another interesting point that I think. Sometimes we find ourselves in a difficult situation, right? And we don't know if this is like something that we just need to overcome or we just need to roll with it. But I think some, so often we try to get out of it because it's uncomfortable and we don't like it. And we'd rather be back home in Jerusalem than being in this foreign place, Babylon. And, you know, you could translate that, how, you could take that metaphor into however it applies to our to daily life. But so often... And I think partly this is because we're uh, Americans. Part of our American heritage is we ought to be able to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and 
either buy or manipulate or argue our way out of an awkward situation, right? Is that just the simple truth, right? I've thought that so many times, I won't even go into an example. But we think we can buy or manipulate or weasel our way out of a situation, and, and then once we do that, life will be good again. And I think sometimes maybe we need to instead, I talked about this at the end last week, you know, sometimes we make decisions because we think, if I, make, if I go this way, I get this result. If I go this way, I get this result. I look, like this result better, so I think I'm going to go this way. And maybe instead we ought to say, Lord, what are you doing? Where would you have me? Would you have me do this? And, and honestly, I've had times where when I've sincerely asked the Lord, would you have me do this? It seemed counterintuitive to what I would have wanted based on what I would have wanted. Does that make sense? And sure enough, if ever I do that, that's the place of blessing. That's the place of blessing. And so what do we find with these guys in Babylon? Jeremiah is saying, you know what? Just settle there and be agents of peace in that place. Agents of peace in that place. I think of Queen Esther, right? Can you imagine? I mean, I don't know how old she was. She was young. We'll say she's young. She gets carried basically for modern terms, she gets trafficked into the king's harem, right? We would say that's bad. And then you know the story, Mordecai says, maybe you've been put in this situation for such a time as this, for a certain reason. And maybe we live in a pandemic for such a time as this, for a certain reason. Maybe we live in America now in 2022 for such a time as this, for a certain reason. And it may very well be that one of those reasons would be to seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace, you will have peace. Wouldn't it be cool if because we are who we are and because we live in this community, there's more, there's more of the peace of God in this community because we are who we are. Now, do you, how do you, can you quantify that? And can, we make a, can we make a program out of it? No, we really can't. God just sort of does it, and it's better that way because we don't get the credit. Amen. It's way better that way. And how do we get peace? Anybody that's ever read the first paragraph of any of the epistles? Grace. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Grace and peace go hand in hand. Amen. You know the drill. Nate's getting as repetitive about it as I am now these days, right? <laughs> grace and peace go hand in hand. You can't have peace without grace. Grace is always first. Wouldn't it be cool if in 2022, because we are at such, at such a place and at such a time as this, there's more grace and peace in the world? in our community, right? And I know that because Jeremiah is telling captives in Babylon that. So if captives in Babylon can get that message, we in this community can get that message. He says, seek the peace 
of the city where I have caused you to be carried away. For thus says the Lord God of hosts, verse 8, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams, which they cause to be dreamed, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. So guess what? There are false prophets in Jerusalem. Guess where else there's false prophets? Babylon, right? Those, you know, a bunch of Babylonians that aren't content to be in Babylon, they say, understandably so, they say, you know what? Thus says the Lord, we need to fight back against Nebuchadnezzar and, and come back to town and, and blah, 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 blah. Jeremiah is saying, no, don't let him deceive you. Don't let him deceive you. Deception is everywhere, man. Deception is everywhere. And let me just say this also. One of the hallmarks of false prophecy is that it often appeals to our temptation to circumvent the will of God or to shortcut the will of God, right? Now we're going to read here in a minute. Jeremiah's going to tell these guys, you know what? Sit back and enjoy the ride. You're going to be there for 70 years, right? 70 years. Now, we'd say 70 years is a long time to be where we don't want to be. What Jeremiah would say is, you know what? Make it somewhere where you want to be because you're going to be there for 70 years. The false prophets were saying, 70 years doesn't work for me. I got to make my own destiny happen. I got to get my way back to Jerusalem um, and blah, 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 blah. All the while, God wants to prevent them to what's, uh, from what's going to happen in Jerusalem at 586 BC. Total annihilation, right? They're preserved over there in Babylon. So, be careful. If you ever hear of a, trying to sort out truth from fiction, ask yourself, is this trying to shortcut the purposes of God? And again, that's not always an easy answer, but beware of quick, quick fixes, shortcuts to the, to the Word of God. For thus says the Lord, verse 10, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I'll visit you and perform my good word toward you to cause you to return to this place. You're going to come back after 70 years, so don't fret. Don't fret. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. These are beautiful verse. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, obviously, we could talk forever about that one verse, yeah. right? But just a couple of points. Number one, whatever your circumstances are, we all live in a context of circumstances. Whatever they are, God has a plan for your life. God has a plan. God, it's not like, and you know, and I say this because sometimes we're tempted to think, well, you know, God, I know God is God, and I know Jesus died on a cross for me, and I, and I know all that, and I know God has a plan for your life, and, and I know God has a plan for, you know, my grandmother's life, and, and I know God has lots of plans, but I think he just missed my plan. You ever feel that way? Like God has a plan for everybody's life except mine, right? If we're honest, we've all felt like that at some point or another. Because it seems like, you know, at least on Instagram, God's blessing everybody else, right? Right? Man, they're just always smiling on Instagram. God's always blessing them, right? For me, I just feel like God's just kind of like, hello, is anybody out there? Right? 
He never, he never lets us go. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. He always has a plan. You say, well, I've messed up that plan. Well, then today starts a new plan. Today starts a new plan. And He has thoughts toward us. Thoughts that are motivated by love. Right? If He has thoughts for us, they're all motivated by love. Psalm 139, verse 17, 18 says, How precious are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. So He has thoughts toward us. He has a plan for our life. He's not left us nor forsaken us. And He wants us to have a future and a hope. He wants us to have a future and a hope. And can I suggest again, in our world today, hopelessness is epidemic. Hopelessness is epidemic. It's everywhere. And, you know, even... Okay, so I said 70 years is a long time, right? Sometimes, even in the Jewish mindset, if you said all right, you're going to have to deal with consequences of sin for 70 years, right? The land's going to have 70 years of Sabbath, all that kind of stuff we've talked about. But at the end of 70 years, I'm going to restore this nation. That at least gives you something to hang on to, right? Even if it's for your grandkids. And so God is giving them hope. And hopelessness is one of the worst emotions in life. For us, God always has a plan for us. God's never left us nor forsaken us. God has thoughts toward us that are greater than the sum of the, of the sand of the sea. And they're always motivated by love. He's given us a future. He's given us a hope. And our hope for the future is ultimately fulfilled in heaven. But even on earth, we know that He's with us. He may not give us a quick fix or an easy fix, or he may, not, he may uh, not allow us to circumvent the lessons we need to learn. And how many times have we learned the best lessons in life and seen the best blessings in life that it comes right alongside the greatest challenges of life? Yeah. You know, if God just let you, you know, be born with no challenges go through life with no challenges, right? Die with no challenges. What did you learn? Nothing. Nothing. How much of the grace of God did you experience? You just, you grew up, trust me, I mean, what's in human nature? If we grew up like that, by, by the end of our lives, what are we? What do you call them? What do you call them if they're a kid? Spoiled brats, right? I know myself enough I mean, I've had challenges, and I'm also, and I am a spoiled brat, right? And I've had challenge in my life, and we all have that tendency, that capacity to be a spoiled brat. If God didn't let us go through some of those times in Babylon, we wouldn't learn the good stuff in life. We'd never experience the good stuff in life. And sometimes God just wants us to to see and to experience Him pulling us through those things. And so that's why He says, "I know the thoughts that I think toward you," says the Lord, "thoughts of peace." and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. 
Please get this. This is a biblical truth. Whether we feel it or not, this is a biblical truth. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Now, does he say this? Let me respectfully butcher this for a second, okay? Does he say, ask, and it'll feel like it's been given to you? Seek, and it'll feel like you found it. Knock, and you'll just be swimming in goodness. Is that what you get? No. But what we get is the Lord, the presence of the Lord, the goodness of the Lord, the grace of the Lord. Ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it'll be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And him who knocks, it'll be open. But what does he tell these captives in Babylon? When you seek me you'll f- and find me, you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. What do we need to seek? We need to seek him. That's our problem. Sometimes when we pray, we say, Lord, I want this. Do we always get that? No, we don't always get that. Lord, I want this situation. I want this relationship. I want this toy. I want this thing. He didn't answer those that way, right? James tells us, you ask and you don't have because you ask and miss, seeking to spend it on yourselves, right? But he says, when you seek me, when you seek me, you'll find me. And that's who we should seek. That's everything we should seek, because God wants to have that relationship with us, and He wants to bless us. He wants to take care of us. He runs our life better than we do. So, you'll seek me and you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. I'll be found by you, says the Lord, and I'll bring you back from your captivity. I'll gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I caused you which I cause you to be carried away captive. Now, this is an interesting verse because this gives us an idea of the near fulfillment and the far fulfillment of God. God is so in control. God is so over all of history that he says, hey, you captives in Babylon, yep, um, I'm going to gather you and I'm going to bring you back. But notice he also says, I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you. So we're not talking about just Babylon. And this is often how prophecy is written, right? There's a near fulfillment. Yep, 70 years, you guys are going to come back. There's a far fulfillment, right? Someday, Jewish people have been scattered all over the world. I'm going to bring you back. Have we seen that happen even in our lifetimes? You bet. 1948, the regathering of the nation of Israel. Super miraculous. The nation ceased to exist from 70 A.D. until 1948. Is that a miracle? That's a miracle. And so God God is just, through Jeremiah, He's just pointing that out, that He's even mindful of that. Verse 15, Because you've said the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon, therefore thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David. That would be Zedekiah. 
concerning all the people who dwell in this city and concerning your brethren who've not gone out with you into the captivity. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will send on them. The... So, hey, guys in Babylon, false prophets in Babylon, if you think you want to overcome, overpower Nebuchadnezzar and come back to Jerusalem and hang out with, with Zedekiah and everybody else that's in Jerusalem, lead this revolt against Babylon, here's what's going to happen. I'll send on them the sword, the famine, and the pestilence, and it'll make them, eat, make them like rotten figs that cannot be eaten. They're so bad. Again, a reference back to his earlier uh, reference there in chapter, chapter 24. And I will pursue them with the sword, with famine, and with pestilence. I will deliver them to trouble among all the kingdoms of the earth to be a curse and astonishment, a hissing, and a reproach among all the nations where I've driven, you, driven them. So what he's saying is, mm, I'd suggest you stay in Babylon, right? Don't come back here. <laughs> it's not going to get pretty here. It's not going to get pretty. You guys are uh, on the good side of things. Because, verse 19, they've not heeded my words, thus says the, Lord, uh, says the Lord, which I sent to them by my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, neither would you heed, says the Lord. So again, all this is God's punishment. And again, the reason they were so resistant to this, particularly in Jerusalem, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but the reason they were so resistant to this is because they were the Jewish people. This is Jerusalem. God established this nation. We're descendants of Abraham. What did Jesus tell Jesus and I believe John the Baptist say when he came on the scene? He said, don't tell me you're what? Sons of Abraham, right? Tell me you can repent. Tell me about your life. Don't say, oh, we're sons of Abraham. Because for centuries, that's a, oh, we're, we're, we're bulletproof from God because we're sons of Abraham, right? We've got the Old Testament law. We've got the, we've got the law of Moses. We've got the prophets. We haven't, we haven't obeyed any of it, but we got it, right? And we're blessed. We're blessed by God. There's no way God's going to bring punishment, even though he's now brought it twice by the Babylonians. There's no way. That, that had to have been a fluke, right? You see the mindset? And you see the parallels, the surreal parallels? I'm not sure when I'll get done ranting about this. The surreal parallels between ancient Jerusalem, the Jewish people, and modern-day America, yes. it's almost creepy to me. Yeah. Except it's not creepy because it's within the sovereignty of God, right? Mm -hmm. That's what I take comfort in. But... We think as Americans, we're bulletproof. Frankly, we've been blindsided by this pandemic because we thought we were bulletproof, right? We've been blindsided by so many things because we thought we were bulletproof. Why do we think we're bulletproof? Because we're, you know, God, God, we're Americans. God established us. God blessed us. God bless America, land that I love. He made us, and so therefore we're bulletproof, right? Again, I'll read it again. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Amen. Proverbs chapter 14. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Patriotism will only get us so far. Patriotism will only get us so far. We are not bulletproof. 
so long as we as a nation reject the word of the Lord. We are very much not bulletproof. So these guys, they thought they were bulletproof. Just like we tend to be. Verse 20. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all you in captive, of the captivity, whom I have sent from Jerusalem to Babylon. So, again, he's trying to encourage them. They are in the midst of God's will. Sometimes you can be in Babylon and be right in the midst of God's perfect will, and that's okay. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab, the son of Koliah, and Zedekiah, the son of Messiah, who prophesy a lie to you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So these false prophets that are over there, he's calling them out by name now. And he shall slay them before your eyes. And because of them, a curse shall be taken up by all the captivity of Judah who are in Babylon, saying, the Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, who are, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. You may recall Nebuchadnezzar likes fires. Uh, because they have done disgraceful things in Israel, they committed adultery with their neighbor's wives and have spoken lying words in my name, which I have not commanded them. Indeed, I know I, and am a witness, says the Lord. Again, uh, just one final comment on discernment. If a false prophet is speaking false prophecy to you, and he's also having uh, adultery with his neighbor's wives, and he's sp- speaking lying words, uh, that'd be one where you could say you will know them by their fruit. You shall also speak to Shemaiah the Nehalamite, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, You've sent letters in your name to all the people who are at Jerusalem, to Zephaniah, the son of Messiah, the priests, and to all the priests, saying, so, so get this, these false prophets in Babylon, just like Jeremiah sent a letter to the captives in Babylon, the false prophets in, in Babylon are sending letters now back to Jerusalem and saying, Don't believe Jeremiah. <laughs> it never stops saying, the Lord has made you priest instead of Jehoiada the priest, so that there should be officers in the house of the Lord over every man who is demented and considers himself a prophet, that you should put him in prison and in the stocks. Now, therefore, why have you not rebuked Jeremiah of Anatoth? Why have you guys not sort of taken Jeremiah out, who makes himself a prophet to you? For he is sent to us in Babylon, saying, this captivity is long, it's 70 years long, build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat the fruit. So these guys are trying to undermine the words of Jeremiah. Now Zephaniah the priest read this letter in the hearing of Jeremiah the prophet. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, send to all those in captivity saying, thus says the Lord concerning Shemaiah the Nehelamite. Because Shemaiah has prophesied to you and I have not sent him and has caused you to trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will punish Shemaiah the Nehelamite and his family. He shall not have anyone to dwell among this people, nor shall he see the good that I will do for my people, says the Lord, because he has taught rebellion against the Lord. You know, God has the final word. He's going to punish this guy, Shemaiah, because he, number one, caused you to trust a lie. Number two, taught rebellion. You know, one of the dangers of of sort of being a false prophet is people believe it. And so we don't want to be on either side of that. God is very serious about being misrepresented. God is very serious about being misrepresented. And so, God desires to bless us as we seek Him, regardless of the circumstance. Please don't forget that. God desires to bless us. God God, God wants to give us a future and a hope. God wants us to know how many thoughts He has toward us, motivated by His love. 
He wants us to know He has a plan for our lives. He wants us to know that even if we find ourselves in a place like Babylon, that may be where He has us, to learn whatever it is He has to, has to teach us. It may or may not even be because of our sin. It may just be because He has something to teach us. And that's a good place to be. And as we seek Him, we'll find Him, we'll have that fellowship with Him, and uh, we don't have to worry about the temptation to sort of weasel out of that situation. We can just experience grace and peace in that situation. And in so doing, then we're a blessing to those that were around, and we bring glory and honor to Him. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that we have the privilege of living in this place, in this time in history, for whatever reason you've called us to such a time as this, just like Queen Esther. And Lord, as we've experienced challenges in this past year, we probably haven't experienced challenges like maybe Queen Esther felt. Maybe we have. And yet, Lord, whatever the circumstance, you're still God. You still love us. You still have a plan for our lives. And so, Lord, help us to walk in that. Help us to rejoice in that. Help us to be thankful through that. Help us to glorify you day by day through whatever you bring our way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Everybody have an awesome, awesome week.